listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this morning. Glad to have you here. So this is our second week in this new series called Invisible God. Uh, Invisible, how to have a relationship with a God you can't see. And so I want to first start off by, so Adam finished, this is our second week. So Adam started last week and he finished his sermon by talking about faith. And I just kind of want to continue that conversation they had because this idea of faith is going to be part of this whole series. And so what we're not exactly talking about is how to have an argument about if God is real or not. So this place we're starting with is the idea that you already have a relationship with God. There's a trust that he is your Lord, he is your savior, and this is kind of where we're starting it out. So in the midst of that question is like, oh, that sometimes as you follow Christ, as you seek him, like sometimes you just don't know where is he? Where do I find him? Where do I see him? And so for me, this question is very important about faith. Because, so the perspective I bring is I grew up in the church. I've talked about that before. And so there's a lot of pieces that I bring with that, with having maybe some church baggage, some church things I struggle with. And so some of the thought that has come out of how I grew up was almost the idea that faith is just something that you have to know here. As long as you know the right things, as long as you believe the right things here, then things will just work out. It's almost this graph of like, okay, I started my faith out, I get old, and my faith grows nicely. Should be easy, right? And what I've learned is that that is not the case. I'm sorry if you're young here, it is not the case. Faith in itself is very difficult. It is messy and it's complicated. It's challenging at times. And it's the way that faith should be. Because we do learn things here, but then we also have to live them out in a day-to-day when reality hits. So this is the way I think about it. So wanting kids and having kids is two different things. So if you don't have kids yet, just tuck this away, and hopefully, you, hopefully you'll judge less because of this. Is that in your mind, you can read these books, you can gain a lot of knowledge about having kids. And so I think about the idea of like you're at Walmart and you see that dad pulling his kid through the store that's screaming, yelling about the Paw Patrol they wanted. You're like, that will never be my kid. (laughs) Or that mom's pushing this kid around the stroller that looks like she spilled her coffee all over her son. You're like, oh no, my kids are going to look cool all the time. You know, they're going to be dressed up in the nicest little stuff all the time. Or if you're like, you're at this place that's really busy and you see that family that has their kid on a leash, you're like, no, I will never own a leash for my kid. <laughs> so, but then you have a kid. And then life changes. Because it gets messy. Because reality hits those ideas. I remember my son, he was born 10 years ago yesterday. Yeah, happy birthday, Landon. He wanted me to say that, he's in here. So he was like, hey, dad, tell him it's my birthday. Happy birthday, son. But I remember holding him the first time. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, look at this kid. Look at this baby. And, the baby, and he starts to cry. And I'm like, can someone, like, 
I'm like, oh, dang it. He's my responsibility now. Like, I can't hand him over to someone else. Do you know kids whine? You know how tiring it is when they whine and whine and whine? How hard it is? I remember my daughter, uh, when she was born, she was very colicky. She cried a ton. I remember, like, we did a seven-hour trip. She cried for straight six hours. It's like, oh, you talk about learning patience. And so I remember one night, I was holding her. It was, a, it was my, my shift. And I was looking at her. I'm like, oh, you're beautiful. And you're screaming like a banshee. Like, like you're changed, you're fed. Everything is fine. Everything should be good. Why can you please stop? I'm like, you are a monster. And this feeling of... Okay, like this idea of me wanting to be a good dad like went out the window. Like, I'm supposed to love you, but I don't like you right now. And you're a small little thing, too. Like, I'm telling you to shut up and you won't listen to me. And I'm like, how can I be so angry at this little child? Like, it's one of those moments, and you'll have these moments as a parent, is that sometimes you just have to put the kid down and walk away for a little bit. Until I can settle down, not be mad and not be angry anymore. But it's not how I thought the type of dad I would be. I thought things would be different. I didn't realize that kids don't fit into my plan. <laughs> our faith with God, our beliefs about God, it hits reality. It's not a straight up this direction. It's much more like a roller coaster. It can be very challenging and very messy. And that is okay. Do you know that's okay? Do you know it's okay that you struggle with some beliefs? Do you know it's okay to ask questions? So here's my children's pastor kind of rant. As like a children's pastor, youth pastor, you ask a question is why do kids leave the church? When they get older, why do they leave? And so there's studies, of course, done, and you can talk about culture, you can talk about other things, but what are, we, what are we responsible for? So there's a study done looking at kids that hit their preteens, so 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, right there. And what is happening in their brain is they start to reason. They start learning the ability to learn to see abstractly. It's almost why sometimes, maybe as a parent, you're like, I don't even know this kid anymore. Like, they used to listen to me, and now they ask questions and backtalk me all the time. I don't understand what's going on. They're trying to make connections to their thoughts and looking outside. And so what happens, though, when you think of, like, faith, you think of what they have been taught, is they start asking questions about that. So, for example, we teach a story about Noah's Ark. Like, you see it in little kids' books, you know, animals two by two into the ark. God saves them, he saves Noah. But then you start making some connections, some like thinking outside a little bit of the story, and you're like, hey, Alex, I know God saved Noah, but why did he allow all these other people to die? And it wasn't just adults, too. It wasn't just people that were just like what we say wicked. There was also kids and babies. So you have this 
preteen that is trying to ask these questions. And they might bring it to the person that they think maybe has the best answer. And so they ask a question about, like, I don't know what to believe in this. I believe, like, you tell me God is good, but I don't, how does this work? What the studies find is sometimes they get the answers that are not healthy for them. They're like, oh, you don't ask those questions. You just have to believe and that's it. Stop asking those questions. So what happens with those kids is it's not that they decided when they become like a teenager and have their own license or when they go to college to leave the church. It's back at that moment that you're like, ah, my questions cannot be answered. And the hard thing as a parent is you don't have to have the right answers. You can be honest about that. You can say, I don't know. I struggle with that myself too. Through my life, I really believe that Christ is good. But there are some stories that I do struggle with. And that's okay. Let me journey with you. Let me go with you. Because faith itself is just not a moment of happen here and is done. Faith itself is a journey. I was talking with a group of guys the other day. It was the idea of wanting to see a connection with God. And the idea of struggling with it sometimes. That you were like, I know God's real, but I don't always connect with him. I don't always feel that he's real. So where do I find him? Because sometimes the idea of like, oh, I've read books. So if I do this, I do this, and I do this, like I will have this sort of reaction. Like we want our faith to almost be like a, like a formula. If we do one plus one plus one plus one, we'll know what will happen. If we can check that box off and check that box off and check that box off, we have this outcome. And that's not what faith is. Because that's not what relationships are. They're so messy. And so one of the conversations that I want to have this morning is how do you find God? How do you find him? In the midst of the struggle of, I just don't know where God is at. I don't know where he's at in my life right now. I believe he's real. I made a decision. But where is he? And so where we're going to start with is this idea first that when we became to know Christ, we made him our Lord and Savior. Like when we do baptisms here, we ask two questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? And have you made him your Lord and Savior? So that's where I want to start this morning, is the idea about him being your Lord and Savior. But I'm going to do that by looking at Genesis 2. This is the same verse Adam used last week to start off, but I'm going to look at it differently. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this word midst, what it means is middle. Middle of the garden. There's a guy named uh, David Foreman, Rabbi David Foreman. He talks about this verse. He is... His Hebrew is amazing. And so it's not, mine's not good, so I look at his stuff. And so when he talks about this verse, what he points out is a D in the Hebrew that the Hebrew points to the tree that's in the middle of the garden is a tree of life. That's the one in the middle of the garden. And then we also need to acknowledge that there's this other tree, 
There's a tree of knowledge and good and evil that's around. We don't know exactly where it's at because the tree of life is in the middle of the garden. And then there's also this other tree that we're going to mention. Sometimes in our own English, we kind of put the two together. But the Hebrew is the tree of life is in the middle of the garden. Let's look at Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what is the tree that's in the middle of the garden? The tree of life. When Eve looked at the middle of the garden, what tree did she look at? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's not what God said. My question to you this morning so what's trees in the middle of your garden? What trees in the middle of your life? What is in the middle of your life right now? Because when we seek God, we make him our Lord and Savior. We're saying, we're going to go your direction. We're going to go your path. The thing about faith, when I look at my own faith, my own life, is that it's much more like this. That sometimes I do a great job of putting God in the middle of my garden, and Christ, his ways in the middle of my garden. Other times I do horrible. If you look at the Israelites, you can see that in their life. They follow Christ, or they follow God. They do what is righteous. They do what is right. They start going, um, squirrel. We're gonna go this way. Because we think this might be better. That this might be better for me. This is what I need because maybe God's not doing what I really want him to do. And we go after that thing. The Israelites went after that thing. And then life kind of happens and things fall apart. And it's messy. And they go, oh, maybe I should go back to putting God in the middle. Maybe that's what I'm missing. In your life, what is in the middle of your garden right now? Because to know where God's at, you have to have a direction. You have to have a path where you go forward with. Because I believe that God is working around us all the time. Sometimes because of myself, I have blinders on. I miss that. But I believe that, and how, like, for me, how I do like discipleship with people is I believe that God's working in your life and I want to join God, what God's doing in your life. It's a good way to start with people. Not what maybe I see they need to fix. I'm like, oh, you need to get rid of that and do that and do that. What is God actually doing in their life? And maybe I want to join that. In our congregation, 
there are things that God is doing where people are changing lives because of what God's doing in their life. We have this gal that writes to uh, females that are in prison. And through these letters, lives have been changed. We have a couple that when they started this business, part of the business model they put into it is a way to give to charity. We have this other couple that has become sometimes the last chance for a marriage to succeed. These couples that are struggling, that is painful and difficult, that this couple was like, you know what, I'm giving up my time and sometimes like happiness in some sense to sit in the middle of this difficult moment in this couple's lives. We have another gal that she goes and cleans this lady's house as this lady struggles some emotional stuff and some different physical things. She's like, I do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. We have families in here that have fostered, that have adopted, that are looking to adopt because that's what they see like God wants in their life. It's hard sometimes because you look like, I want God to do this in my life and I just don't see it happening. Is he moving? Is he there? There are times that we just have to pause for a little while and take a moment. Hey, maybe God is working. Let me stop and look around. There's two things in my life that when I struggle with, I go back to. One is times where Christ had moved in my life. Do you know pastors struggle with their faith? And like we're real people. <laughs> you got real problems, that's my wife. But there's things that we struggle with. But one thing I look at is that there's moments in my life where I know for sure that God had moved. That there's no way I can rationalize it out of existence. If you have those moments, make sure you write them down and keep them close to you. So things you rely on. Maybe God's not speaking to me right now, but I know there's a real God that has a relationship with me, that loves me, because I know it because of my experience with him. The other thing I rely on is the people around me. We talk about being a relational church, and for me, this is one of the main reasons why. When I struggle, I need people around me that are seeking God. Because sometimes it might not be happening what I want in my life right now, but I meet up with someone that like, when they start sharing, like, oh, God did this, and this is happening, and this is moving. I'm like, I'm jealous of you, but I still want to be around you because I see that God is doing something. That your encouragement to me. This a reminder, if God is moving in your life in a special way, you better be talking about it. You better be sharing it. Those that are in your community, those in your home group or small group you meet with, like you need to be sharing those things because we rely on one another for our faith. When it's difficult, we rely on each other. When you're looking at like where to go, what direction, there's also another thing to look at that's really important is where are you at? So I hate them all. I'm not a fan of them all. I think it sucks out all my energy and gives it to a junior higher. Like, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. And so I don't, if I need to go to the mall for a reason, 
I want to go exactly to where I'm supposed to be. So you go to those little kiosk things, those maps, and the thing that you have to find is that little star that says, where are you? Because once you find where you're at, then you can also know where you're going, and you can get the, the right route to get there. Because if you walk into like, a very big mall, when you walk in, do you go up? Do you go down? Do you go left? Do you go right? What direction do you head? So you have to find that little star. Oh, yeah, I'm right here, and this is where I need to go. The same thing is true in finding God. And I hope you can hear me here, because I don't want you to feel guilt or shame. That's actually the totally opposite I want you to hear. Is that we have to be authentic with ourselves and with God and with each other to help us move forward. If we're not authentic, we let the past control us, and we let the future with the fears control us also. That at this moment right now, you are you. You know what? God accepts you for you at this moment. But you also have to realize where you're at. Because how are you going to move forward if you don't know where you're at? And this is a problem like I see sometimes with the church when people have struggles with this piece because they're like, I have these questions. I need these answers. And then I ask someone and you get a pithy statement about, oh, distrust. I'm like, I do, I do trust. That's why I'm asking this question. I'm not running away from God. But it is difficult sometimes to look at yourself and go, this is where I am. I hate being here. I don't want to be here. But this is where I am right now. But you have to do that to be able to know what direction to head. You need the freedom to be able to do that. So, um, I'm going to talk about some next steps. I'm just going to have, go ahead and have the ushers hand out communion. And we're going to actually hold on to communion for a long time. So, just get you ready for that. So, our table is open. We, uh, um, our communion is open to you. You believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, please join us. All we ask you to do is hold on to the elements until the very end, and as a community, we'll take them together. So these next steps, I want them to be very tangible for you. So one way to look at it is kind of a scale. A scale of like one to ten. Let's say right now you look at the scale, like one being like the worst case and 10 being the best. And you're like, I'm a three right now. And I know you want to be a 10, but the question is to make it tangible of how tomorrow do I just be a four? How tomorrow do I just do something right now that can help me be a four? What things can I actually do to move that way? that direction. So I have questions here, and they're in your notes. And what I'd love for you to do as you hold on to your communion is also take notes for yourself. Because these need to be for you. You need to figure out for yourself. I'm going to give you some ideas, but I'm not you. I might not, you might not respond the same way I respond to things. But they need to be steps that you will be willing to take. So the first question I have here is, where are you? What does it look like for you to be authentic before God in yourself? 
That is one scary step to really look at yourself of where am I at? So a suggestion I might have is that you might need a journal about it. Sometimes putting things on paper helps. Like write it down, like, ah, that's not true. That's not exactly what I feel. Maybe you have a small group, a home group, that you can talk about it with. See, this is where I'm at right now. I need to share this. You want to talk about terrifying sometimes. Do you know that usually we have pain in our life because people have hurt us? But we also find health by connecting with other people. Like, it's this weird thing God put into us is like, I mean, God, the thing that makes me healthier is also the thing that hurt me the most. But find a group of people, it could be one of our home groups, it could be another group of followers of Christ, but find a group that you can be authentic with and share these things with. Be vulnerable. Say, this is where I'm at right now. I need someone to know because I need to move forward. I can't move forward without doing that. Maybe there's things in your past that you have to deal with. Maybe you need help when you're dealing with those things in your past. I do not want your past to keep you from the freedom that is there. And I know some difficult, difficult stories of people in their past. I don't want to be, speak lightly of it. But my hope for you is that you find freedom. That sometimes you have to deal with those things and work through them so you don't let the past control you. Maybe a little bit more like me, that I love to know what's 10 steps down the road is. And when, I, is, when there's ambiguity going on, when I'm not sure what the future looks like, oh, it, like, it worries me. I cannot let my future control me either. And sometimes the idea is like, okay, God, I'll be real with you once I get my life together. Once I'm good, everything is perfect, everything is right, I'll get my life together. Such a lie. Such a lie. Because I know some amazing men of faith, and they're like, ah, oh, my life's not together. Because like, it is, faith is a journey. Because where they're at right now isn't where they were 20 years ago. But there's still things that they're dealing with and some stuff they're working through and trying to figure out. Um, there's a guy that I have a huge respect for. And when I need someone to speak into my life about what God is doing, I go to him. But it's fun to talk to him because he's like, I don't know where God is doing this or I don't hear God right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? You talk to me about God all the time. Like the things that you say, like part of this message came from him because he was being obedient of hearing God and letting me know. But he still struggles with it. And that's okay. So the second question I have for you is where are you going? The question right now is the question of the garden, the question of the tree. What is in the middle of your garden right now? Are the right things there? When the right things aren't there, we become blind sometimes what's around us. We have to know what those right things are. So tangible steps in that. So for instance, like fasting is always a good place to start. And then it could be a food fast or something like that because it brings perspective of me out of center seat and puts God there. 
But I was talking to a gal that uh, fasted social media for a while. I'm like, oh, how did that go? She's like, it was amazing to see the difference of how I looked at myself after a couple days. Like, I stopped comparing myself to everybody around me, and I believed it stopped being like, oh, I need this, I'm not good enough, or my life's not that great, you know, these people are experiencing this. And it was this comparable thing. And through this fast, like, it was a realization, okay, like, I'm telling God that all I have is not enough. I'm putting that stuff that I think I need in that place of God. So fasting is a way to do that. You look at things like a time journal. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where are the things at? Because they'll show you what's important. Where you place the things that are important. Also say, like, what are you addicted to? This also kind of goes back to the same question of where you're at. But what are you addicted to? Are there things in your garden you just feel like you cannot get a hold of because you have this addiction? What does it look like to take a step towards finding recovery? Getting out of that. Not being stuck. I don't want you to be stuck. Now, will it be easy? No, it's going to be messy. It's life. It's going to be messy. And the simple piece, too, of making healthy habits. Like, I know there are spiritual disciplines, and I think they're good because they come up over and over again, like prayer and fasting and reading your word. But like when I say tangible steps, just make one step. Like, hey, this is an aspect I know God's been talking to me about for a while. I need to be part of my life. And I swear you won't go from like, okay, I need to read my Bible. So I'm going to wake up tomorrow and read it for three hours. And I'm going to do that for every day for the next hundred years. Like, don't just say, hey, like, I got five minutes. I'm just going to start this and do it this time. And I'll add to it. Once I created a good habit, I'll just keep adding to it. Whatever that makes looks like. We'll let God kind of direct that part of it. But what does it look like to make some healthy habits in your life? Some direction there. So the last question is, where is God working around me and how I join what God is doing? So, this is supposed to say this kind of work for me and a few others I know. Um, there's other ways around it too, other things you can do. But for me, what was helpful was when I woke up in the morning, I asked, like, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. Would you show me as this day goes? And then it's in God's hands. But what it did, it started a day off about, like, okay, I'm going to look around and see if God is doing something. Because I want to be a part of it. I want to know what God is doing. And there's something that changes me by being part of what God is doing. So it might be just asking God in the morning, like, hey, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. Will you show me? Will you show something that you're doing so I can be part of it today? So my hope through this is that you feel like when it comes to your faith, when it comes to finding God, that you have permission for it to be messy. To go after those things that maybe you're uncertain about. And part of my job is I hear a lot of people's pain. I just want to say, there's a lot of pain in this room. 
you're not alone. There are a lot of things that people struggle with. And it's okay to wrestle where God is in the midst of all that. It's okay to wrestle with that. Because I believe God is there. But it's okay to struggle with that idea. So, one thing we can look at of how much our God loves us and watches over us and takes care of us is these elements. That he died on the cross for us. No longer call us servants, but call us friends because he's willing to die for his friends. That this piece of bread, this body, he broke it And he did this for you. Let's remember him. As we look at this cup, it's his blood poured out for you. He loves you. Remember him. Lord, I know in you that you say that there is no shame. So Lord, as we look at today, ask questions about ourselves of where we're at. Lord, my hope is that you share with people not shame, but the possibility of hope and freedom. That we can move forward because you're there walking with us in the midst of us struggling to know where you're at. That we find hope today. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.